0: We're going to go somewhere this morning that um, some of you have never been. It's an interesting place. I'm going to say some words, and I'm going to ask uh, the Lord just to put it out there in your heart, and you'll have to judge them. And It's going to be a good thing. It's not mean or ugly. This is, this is really going to be good. And if you... Once you judge this, if you just, you ask the Lord, say, Lord, is this the truth? Is this real? If it is, what will happen is the person that you were when you came through those doors, when you leave here, you will never be the same. And this is not a bunch of hype. This is something that is fundamental to who you are in Jesus. It's fundamental to what he has done for you. And really, if you can begin to embrace what I'm going to share with you this morning, it will totally and completely change your life. It'll change your perspective on everything you have experienced in life up to this point, And it will change the way you receive life and all of the experiences and situations that come along with it down through the years. Okay. It's got your attention. I hope so. Now, let me say this. We are a grace-believing church. One of the things that... Um, I'm not going to say bother me, but one of the questions I had many years ago was, as, as we saw people come in to the ministry, there were Baptists and there were Methodists and there were Pentecostals and there were Charismatics and there were, did I say Catholics already? There were Catholics. Um, the only thing we didn't have at that time was someone, I think, who was Jewish, and so I got to thinking. I said, and Janie and I, I shared it with her a few times. I said, how in the how in the world is this bunch of people so diverse in their teachings and their experience and their um, with church and doctrine and all that kind of stuff? How in the world are we? How how's this thing gonna just stay together? Well, the answer to that is simple: just preach the word, and see what happens. And we've had. Hundreds and hundreds of people come through our doors. We, we're we different than a lot of churches. We, we receive people to come in, and people are here for a season, and then uh, they may f- feel led to go somewhere else, and then we let them go somewhere else, and we bless them on the way. But we also believe that for the people who've come and gone, almost without exception, we believe that. They experienced a positive change, and we gave them something to think about, and something different, and we believe it was in a positive way. And so today we're going to have one of those. It's going to be one of those positive things that I'm going to put before you, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm, we're going to be in First and First John or or John One, not Gospel John, but the Book of John. You know, there's there's two: the Gospel of John, and then there's First John, Second John, Third John. We're going to be in First and Second John today, and I'm going to talk about a few different things leading up to a point. And this is going to be First John one, uh, the New Living Translation, and I'm going to start reading here, and we're just going to kind of we just go kind of just walk through this, okay? The one who existed from the beginning. Oh, we got it here. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us. I'm going to let you read it and I'm going to read here because there's, there's something, I don't know. Whenever I look at it here and I want to come back to it, I kind of know where it is on the page. Okay, and If I do it on the wall here, I get all confused. This one who is life from God was shown to us, and we have seen him, and now we testify and announce to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was shown to us. We are telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that you're so that our joy will be complete. Now, the first thing I want to just kind of throw out there as we just kind of go through this is is the thing called fellowship. Fellowship is an old word. It goes way back. And if I remember what they taught me, fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means to come alongside. And when you come alongside somebody, there's... There's a, there's a unity, a unison that is just a natural, or we could say a, within the church, it's a supernatural byproduct of us being together. Have you ever watched people, a group of people, maybe two or three or four, walking down the sidewalk together? Have you noticed that they tend, their, their legs, they sort of tend to walk in step? You know two or three or four people coming together who would be walking in different strides and different gates and different speeds if they're, if they're walking together, if they come alongside each other on a sidewalk or down a street or somewhere, they tend to walk the same speed, and it, a lot of times they'll put everybody put their left foot out first and then they'll put their right you know just walk along together. Well, the basis for Christian fellowship. Is the Father? Is God? Is Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit? Did you know we have no other basis for fellowship? If we're not together on that one thing, if we're not, if we're not part of the same existence, if we're not, if 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 God, if if Jesus, if the Holy Spirit isn't the center and the object of what we do and the purpose for which we assemble, any time. Uh, there's not going to be any fellowship. And as we have fellowship with the Father as, as individuals, and we come together, we have fellowship with individuals as a group with the Father, then we can have fellowship together. I've said this often before, and you've probably heard it too, that um, <laughs> if, it, if, if we didn't belong, if we didn't have the same origin, if if we, weren't, if we didn't have the same DNA that we get from God that we wouldn't even want to be in the same room together. Matter of fact, we, we might not even like each other very much. And we're, we're a diverse group, and every church that assembles today is, is a diverse group. And the basis upon which we have fellowship is with God. And if we could have fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, then we can have fellowship together. We've got a basis And a little step further, When we come to worship, whether it's on Friday night or Sunday or whatever. And the presence of the Lord is here. See, when you have fellowship with the Lord, His presence is going to be here. The next sentence he wrote here was, we write these things that our joy might be complete. When we experience the presence of the Lord and fellowship happens all sorts of things then become possible. We get that different feeling, that warm feeling, that peaceful feeling, that calmness and the joy that comes along with having fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then with each other. There's there's a transaction that happens. Something transpires in the presence of the Lord when we're having fellowship and when we're worshiping and being together. Something happens then that, won't happen any other time as a group of people. Where the Lord is, there's joy. And there's a special feeling. And a lot of times, i just give you for example. Some days I have pain. Some days I have problems. I have stuff on my mind when I get here. Are you that way? Oh, I thought y'all were more spiritual than that. I thought surely you came and you didn't have any problems, no situations, no conditions upon which you were worried or anxious or tired or hurting. Have you noticed that when you come into fellowship with the Lord, when His presence is here, have you noticed that if you you have little pains sometimes, they go away? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that anxiety, that worries, you tend to forget about stuff? (laughs) burdens that are heavy to carry before you got here. When you got out of bed, some, some things that just followed you around all week. When you begin to get into the presence of the Lord and this thing called fellowship begins to happen and there's a connection made with our God the Father who rules over this other dimension, this other reality and this one as well. When we begin to connect with Him, all of a sudden we don't hurt anymore. All of a sudden, we don't worry as much anymore. All of a sudden, we feel happiness where there may have been despondency. Have you noticed that? If you don't have a penny in your pocket, you seem to forget about all that. Because there's something else that has come into your life and it's dominated in a good way. And it's saturated in a good way. That's what transpires in the presence of the Lord. Fellowship is a good thing. And it is true we can experience the Lord and we can have those other things that I mentioned when we're alone with Him in His presence. But there's something special about coming together as a group of people. Something that doesn't happen any other way. And I've said before that church has got a lot of problems. We can find all kinds of problems. We can just make a whole list. And we could join together in that list to be as long as from here to the front door. But Jesus died for us. And he's established the assembling together in the New Testament. And fellowship is a good thing. And I didn't come here this morning to sell you on the idea that you need to come to church. Church is a good thing. But there's, there's a blue million of churches aren't there. I'm simply going to tell you that Jesus has ordained such gatherings as this. and It's entirely up to you as to whether you want to take advantage of that or not. A lot of people don't take advantage of it. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And there's strength, and there's joy, and there's peace, and there's help. And there's a lot of good benefits from being part of a, an assembly or a group. And that can happen in home groups. You know, we had home groups for years. It's a good thing. And those home groups would come together on Friday night and we would worship together. So it's a good thing. We've, we've, been, we've enjoyed the fellowship. And I, I just wanted to plug that because um, that's kind of where we're going with this. And there's a, it kind of ties in with the rest. So this thing about fellowship, don't take it lightly. Okay? But take advantage of it. It's a good thing. It's good for you, and it's good for us. I would like to think that I'm good for you when you come. I'll tell you this, you're good for me when I come. Because I have the unique opportunity and privilege of looking out and seeing every one of you. Y'all looking forward, you only see me in probably the back of your neighbor's head, maybe. But it's great to look and see you, to see your face. And to know that we all belong to the same God and Savior. Verse 5, this is the message he has given to announce to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not living in the truth. But if we are living in the light of God's presence just as Christ is, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from every sin. Oh! Wow, I forgot to mention this. There's something about the assembly and there's something about the, the fellowship that we have with each other. There's something about all that transpiring and having a dynamic act, action in our life. And that is, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus' His Son cleanses us from all sins. See, there's a cleansing. That's what part of the presence of God does when you're in it. That's the reason why a lot of times you feel better when you leave than you did when you get here. Because as we worship and as our basis of fellowship is with Him, as we assemble together and we proclaim the good news and we praise His name in music and worship, and as we just sit here in the environment, there's a cleansing activity. And that is completely and totally supernatural. And I cannot explain it to you other than the way it was just stated. And, and, and no one can really understand that unless they have experienced it. Those who are not saved, the unregenerate, those who rejected Christ, those who, who, who don't attend gospel means they can't even conceive of that. But see, that's a blessing that you have because Jesus saved you. There's this washing. We often talk about the washing of the word. And and there is a washing of the word when you get into it. But there's also a washing and a cleansing that comes along with just being in His presence. I'm talking about not doing anything but being in His presence. That astounds me. And this is what grace is all about. It's... It's being in His presence and having a a particular birthright and an inheritance to enjoy just His presence. Because if we can be in His presence, that opens up a gate to every conceivable good thing you can imagine. And not being in His presence produces a withering I think I can say that and be correct with it. It produces a withering. But there is a, there is a life promoting and, and, and a, a joy. And what's the word I'm looking for. Oh, gosh, there's a word I can't, get, I can't get to. But there is a life producing effect in our life. When the blood of Christ begins to cleanse us, like a washing. But if we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. Here's where we get to it. Here's where I began to say the things I wanted to say to you this morning. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our every wrong. Two or three things I'd like to say about it. Number one, if you have sinned, all you have to do is ask for forgiveness and it is there. That's right. You don't have to be a beggar. You don't have to be living right. You don't have to have all your ducks together and in a row. The truth of God's word is this, is if we confess our sins before him, he forgives us of every wrong because he is faithful and just, not because of who we are, but because of his nature. And today if you're struggling with sins that are past, that you you just and something's bothering you and you just you 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 feel like Your past is condemning you, or your present is condemning you. I'm I'm giving you the word today to simply tell you that if you confess your sin to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive you every wrong. Which brings into the second thing. What wrong? Some of them. Part of them. This one and that one, something that maybe he feels like forgiving today. There may be one group of sins he feels like forgiving today. And and there's another group of sins that he doesn't feel like giving today. Well, maybe come back to me tomorrow. And if if your sins is in this lot, then we'll forgive you tomorrow. No. He's forgiven you. Now, the first bold statement I'm making today is this, concerning our sin before the Lord Is this. Is you don't have to ask forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over again. You hear me? I want you to get this. You do not have to ask forgiveness for the same sin over and over and over again. Jesus does not delight with some sort of a religious rule or legislation saying that you just have to keep asking over and over and over again. Says, the word says he is faithful and just to forgive us every wrong, every sin. So if there's something in your past you can't get over, you need to... <laughs> Jesus has already forgiven it and he's passed that thing. And you don't have to keep going back there and digging up something that he has already slain and he's already forgiven. What that is, if you feel this compunction to go back and continually ask for the same thing over and over, this, this, this particular sin over and over, that just means that you hadn't got over it and you haven't really, you haven't really received from him the thing which he's promised and which is a reality. And you're allowing the devil to steer your energy, your spiritual energy, to cause you to feel self-condemned and unworthy. Jesus has already passed all that. You see, when He died on the tree, it was all over. And He wants you to understand that, ask Him, He'll forgive it, and then you go forward and don't let that thing be an anchor and a dead weight to your life. Don't let it steal your joy and your passion and your peace. And you, sometimes you just have to release all that stuff simply by faith. Okay? The Word said He's faithful and just to forgive me if I ask. So therefore, I'm just going to go in faith. I'm just going to believe He did that. And you're free from it. See, that allows you to concentrate on the here and now. And the future. Only the enemy wants you to go back into your past. And dig all kinds of stuff up. Here's another one. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. Well, if we say we haven't sinned, we're calling God a liar and His word has no place in our hearts. So therefore, you know what he's saying there? We all are guilty. Without excuse. Every single one of us. Do you, you know what tense that word is in? Look at this. If we claim we have not sinned, that's past tense again. Past tense. Now usually the person who would say they haven't sinned, well, it's two, two kinds of people. Number one, it's the, the rank lost. Well, there's nothing wrong with me. My life is just fine. And then the other one is the rank religious. (laughs) Oh, I haven't sinned. I reached that state of holy perfection. I'm good to go. (laughs) Have y'all ever met either of those two individuals or maybe both? Yeah, you'll continue to meet them. So we've all been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, haven't we? Okay, I want you to... Now, now here's where we need to take a deep breath. We know we've all sinned in the past tense. We know that if we sin, we have uh, have somewhat Jesus who's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, I'm going to switch gears. Now, Now, here's where... I want you to take a deep breath, okay? And this is really important because this is, this is the transition place. This is where we're going somewhere where you're going to have to measure what I say and judge it and, and allow the Lord to work in your heart to see if it's truth, okay? Okay, let's go there. Let's go to John 3. 1 John 3, and we'll start around verse 4. Now, this is the same John who just wrote over there all those things we talked about. Those who sin are opposed to the law of God. For all sin opposes the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins for there is no sin in him. You need to remember that. No sin in Jesus. So if we continue to live in him... We won't sin either. Oh my. Here we go. Y'all see this contradiction? Hmm. So if we continue to live in him, we won't sin either. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have messed up since you were saved? Okay, so in one place, our sins are forgiven. And he says we all sin, but in another place, he said, we don't sin. (gasps) Have you all ever noticed this in the Word where this comes up? You know, there's, there's, some, there's some criticism out there in the church world today. The, um, the charismatics and, 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 and some of the Pentecostals, the non-traditional, the, the, the non-denominational people, are waking up to the doctrines of grace, who, who they are in Jesus. They're waking up to the righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And all this stuff. And... There's an element. That there, there's there's a lot of confusion involved, and it's over this issue. It's about sin. It's about the extent of the grace of God, which covers sin. And the the people who oppose really the liberating doctrines of grace and the righteousness that we have in Christ. They don't understand it when, and justifiably so, when when something like this comes up. Well, anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin. They don't understand this. And so people who are in the various elements of what they refer to as hypergrace... A lot of them misunderstood. I don't know if, if a lot of them understand it or not. But I'm going I'm to release you. Have y'all ever worried about this? Have, is it ever, has it ever crossed your mind? To what extent does grace save me? Especially as it concerns sin in my life and the forgiveness that I have in Jesus. Well, if it has bothered you, I'm fixing to give you something. That's often not referred to that Janie and I learned. Golly, when... And we were old enough to begin to understand anything because we were raised in a, uh, in a Calvinist background. Listen to me. When it comes down to the teaching of Scripture, there are, there, there's a thing called fundamental forgiveness. And then there's the practical aspect of that. Are you with me? The fundamental aspect of forgiveness is this. Is that when Christ died on the cross, He won a victory over sin which allowed us to be forgiven by the Father. Okay, When we receive Jesus, when we accept Him, when we are saved and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, comes into our hearts... See, that's what happens at the new birth. Everything changes. The scripture teaches that the old man is slain. That the old nature, the old sinful nature that we had is slain. He's dead. He's killed. He no longer exists. And the seed of God, who is Jesus, and if we haven't got that far yet, We will in just a minute. Maybe we need to go that far. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it's because they are righteous, even as Christ is righteousness. So, at the new birth, something happens. It's called the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Christ actually puts in us His righteousness when we're saved, when we're born again. He puts in us His righteousness. That's a fundamental teaching of Scripture. And the old nature, the old man is slain. And so therefore, when when the Spirit of God comes into us, our seed, the seed of Christ, is in us. And fundamentally, when God looks at us, He does not see any trace. He does not see any trace. Thing. He does not see any presence of sin in us because Christ has imputed His righteousness to us. It's not our righteousness, it's His. And so therefore, in a fundamental sense, we have the seed of God living in us. And because of that, there is no place in us for the old man, the old nature, the old sinful man. Are you there? Are you okay? Y'all kind of looking at me funny. But that's what Scripture teaches. And, and you just have to work. You, you just have to go. You're going to have to. If you can't swallow all this, you're just going to have to read and you're going to have to study and you're going to have to pray to see what happens. But I'm here to tell you now when Jesus died on the cross and when the Holy Spirit came to live in us, the Holy Spirit did not come to live in our mortal bodies and our spirit man was not given life. He did not do all that to share us. With the devil. There's no place in scripture where it ever indicates. In a fundamental way. That Jesus' intention was to take up residency in us. To cleanse us from our sins. To forgive us of all wrong. To give us a new nature. To give us his righteousness. There's never once an indication where. He ever intended to share us with the devil. He came to do away with that. In a fundamental sense. That's why when he looks at Jason, you know, you know who God sees? God sees Jesus. From head to foot, stem to stern, inside and outside. Lynn, he sees Jesus. Because Jesus was so perfect in what he did and so complete and so thorough. He obeyed the law of God. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He sees Jesus. Lanaback. Oh, she's so precious to look at. And she'll... When you give her the microphone. But when Jesus sees Lana, you know who he sees? He sees Jesus. And every single one of you that's listening to me, when when God looks at you, he sees Jesus and he deals with you based on the righteousness of his son who died on Calvary. And rose again the third day. That's who he sees. But how? Okay, that's, that's the fundamental aspect of it. That's the fundamental part. What about this practical part? Well, you remember where Paul said, he said, every time I want to do good, evil's present. He said, there's, <laughs> there's a war in me. When I would do good, I'd do it not. Never been that way. When you have a choice to do good, sometimes you simply don't do good because you choose not to. Do you hear what I said? Even though we are saved sometimes. Look at what Paul said. Even though we are saved, sometimes we make a choice to not do good even though good is present in us. That's our fundamental nature. We make a choice to do something that's not good. Now, is that your nature? Is that the nature of Jesus in you? No, that's the choice you make. It's practical in nature. I don't want to see a, raise a, I don't want to see a show of hands here. But during the course of a day, how many of you are going to cuss during the course of a day tomorrow with something don't go right? This is real life here. You know? How many of you are going to cuss? Don't raise your hand, please. How many of you are going to think about cussing? How many of you, when you, okay, let's go back to last week. How many of you engaged in a conversation with a coworker, or your boss or a friend and an item of gossip came up and you just kind of joined right in? You know, gossip's a sin too, isn't it? And you could have held your tongue, but you just went right in there with it and just kindled all the fires that involves gossiping. You know, we can make a long list. How, how many of us last week, even though we are saved, even though we are the, the, the righteousness of Christ in God, how, how many of us who are saved did the wrong thing? I'll raise my hand, I did the wrong thing. Remember what John said in John 1? If any of us have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous sinned in past tense. We make a choice to sin sometimes and to do something that's not right, something that's not good. We make a choice to do something evil. and It may be something little, it may be something big. But you see, that's a choice we make. So what is, what is what's what's the practical then application of, of having made a bad choice and Jesus forgiving sin if... When God looks at us, we have no sin in the righteousness of God. You know what? Let me just put it in plain terms. You know what I do? when I, After salvation, after I've been saved, when I make a choice to do not that which is good, it's not the nature in me because I have no sinful nature in me. I mean, that's what the Word says. But I make a choice. See, I'm free to choose. I'm still free to choose after I'm saved. I'm free to choose. You're free to choose. But when I mess up, you know what the value of asking Jesus, Jesus, I said a bad word. I'm sorry. Forgive me, I want to do better. You know what the value of that is? You know who values from that? Does Jesus value from that? No. Because if he saved me and I have his nature in me and I have his righteousness in me, therefore, I have his seed in me, fundamentally, you know, God has forgiven me for that already because of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. He's forgiven me of that. But the value of me, in a practical way, sinning or doing something bad, making a bad choice, the value of that is, is it's my benefit. It's my benefit. I feel better. Does that make sense? I feel better. It's like being in his presence, just sitting here, just being washed, being cleansed. I feel better. So there is there's the fundamental thing in John three where it says God's seed remains in us, therefore we can't sin, because when God looks at us, he sees his seed, who is Jesus, therefore Jesus has forgiven me, has done a complete work. But there's this practical thing like Paul talked about, and like I can share with you, is that I choose sometimes to not do that which is right. And it's, it makes me feel better. Just to, to get right again. Has nothing to do with the, it doesn't have anything to do with the fundamental act of Jesus on the cross. And the fundamental way God views me in his plan of salvation. What it has to do, it has to do with. Not carrying around a load and a burden. Not letting the enemy get in my head and in my spirit and defeat me and making me feel condemned. You're no good. Look at you. You say you're saved and you've made a bad choice. Well, see, that's the purpose of Jesus coming on the cross and saving me anyway. To save me from all that stuff. Is, Is any of this making sense to you? Is this, is this helping any? All right, now let me... It may be a lot for you to process, okay? It may be a lot for you to process. But can you see where embracing what Jesus has done... And being able to see that there's there's a fundamental and practical work, does that help you at all? If God didn't go, in His Word, the extra mile to the nth degree in writing something like he inspired John the Apostle to write in 1 John 3. If he didn't go to the nth degree to do that, there may be some question in my mind as to what's, is my experience been valid and genuine? There may be some, there may be some question in my mind. But when I read the fact that his seed remains in me, regardless of whatever, if I sin, His seed still remains in me because He has crucified the sinful nature. Sin, therefore, has no dominion over me because He has slain the old man. If if I can get to that point and understand then that sin and not doing right is a choice of mine and not my nature, then I can realize the freedom of the cross which allows me to live and to go further. And never doubt what He says in His Word. Y'all, I'm telling you, what I've tried to present to you this morning is maybe the most critical point in whether or not you live a life or whether you live an abundant life. It may be the difference in succeeding in your destiny and what Jesus has called you to do and not fulfilling your destiny. Let's go a little further. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. who has been sinning since the beginning? But the Son of God came to... See this? The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Because God's life is in them. Oh I should have come here about fifteen minutes ago, and I wouldn't have had to preach to all that stuff, should I? You see do you see this? Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. And what that is, is the practice is the continual ongoing of not just one sin but a multitude of and their conscience not being pricked and not realizing that they have. They're in in disobedience and have need of repentance. But those of you who have been saved, you don't make a practice of doing that. You have a conscience. You understand there's a throne of grace. You feel better because you repent because what? God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Do you understand this? Are you getting a handle on it? I I need somebody to do this. Is this helpful? Does this this liberate you just a little bit? Does it liberate you a lot? Does it set you free? This, dear brothers and sisters, this should set you free. Because because you are the children of God. You know what that means? You are not any longer the children of devils and a slave to sin. That's what this means. When Jesus delivered you, he delivered you from the whole Megillah. When He saved you, it was from every sin, not some. When He put His nature in you, it was not to cohabitate with the devil. And if you mess up, it's by your choice. It's not because of the new nature in you. And if you do mess up, then you have a place to go to. You have the throne of grace. You have a and not only that, you have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's faithful and just to forgive us when we sin. Has this helped you understand? If if you know there's a fundamental part of salvation and then there's a practical aspect of what is available to you, does, does it take some of the shame away? It should. Does that give you a license to go on and keep doing what you've been doing? No. Definitely not. But if you can get a hold on this, then the joy and the appreciation and the retroactive love that Christ has extended to you should motivate you to progressively walk in His Word and be obedient. And to cut those things out that He shows you That are bad choices on your part. And get right. Okay. Again. (laughs) You can never do what Jesus has done for you. But you have a place you can go to. Okay, next verse. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Woo, hooking those two things together. You know why? Because if you've got the the, the righteousness of, of God in you, if you have His seed in you and you come together in fellowship, you can't help but demonstrate the love to each other, then those two things are indications that you belong to God and not the devil. Even though you have problems. Even though somebody may point to you and say, Oh, I saw what you did wrong. Oh, I heard what you say. And how can you pretend to be a uh, a believer or a Christian and, and and do or say those things. You just say, I made a bad choice. I said a wordy dirt. Just tell them Jesus loved me enough to forgive me from that. You know what? There's no no counter-response from the devil. Jesus loved me enough to forgive me from that and to keep forgiving me because His blood works and His grace is without retraction. If (laughs) If you can get to the point where you can embrace the great truth That his grace is without retraction. What that will do. Is that will. Not only change your life. It will accelerate you into the things of the Lord. And through that. People around you will begin to see Jesus' his blood at work in your life and His grace and His mercy taking care of things all around your life that no one has an explanation for. <laughs> Let's try one more verse. I think we need to go another verse or so. This is the message. You have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Let's just keep going a while. I ain't got but three more verses, I don't think. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing that which was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death unto life. But a person who has no love is still dead. People say, "Uh, How can I know that I'm going to heaven? How do I know that, that it's genuine, this work of Jesus in my life? It's really very simple. One of the indications is that if you love your brothers and sisters, you've passed from death to life. It's one of the indications. But you know what? If you can love me and I can love you although outside the body of Christ we have nothing in common we may be an irritant to each other if we were not in the body of Christ. If I can love you and you can love me that's supernatural. And that goes against every law of the enemy. If we just love each other. If we just love each other. Which is We just love each other. J.D.'s daddy has a wonderful saying. He said, you know, he said we're supposed to love each other. Some people are just easier to love than others. And so God has placed, this and in His grace, He's placed people in the body of Christ that's easier to love than others. Now, all of y'all are easy to love. They, none of y'all hard to love, okay? But have you noticed that some believers are harder to love than others? But you know what? If we can demonstrate love... To that one that's harder to love than the rest It's going to help that person It's going to help us It's going to demonstrate that what Jesus did on the cross Is legitimate And it'll just be a really cool thing Is there another verse in that chapter? Oh well We better stop here haven't we Yep, We'll stop here Save the rest for later Okay now It's like I told you What I presented to you is a snag to a lot of people. I hope I've made it clearer for you. The grace that we receive from Jesus should not be a free path to do anything we want to do simply because we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous and just because we can ask for forgiveness and get it. That's not the way grace works. It's not the way it works at all. Because when we receive the love of Jesus, when we receive salvation, when we begin to explore the great doctrines of grace and the impact that grace has on our lives, grace is there for a reason and it's much larger than anything we could possibly imagine. And the preconceptions that we have brought with us from all these various places that we came from, sometimes those preconceptions are wrong. But what the grace of God extended to you and received by you should do it should motivate you to love Him more and to want to be obedient to Him and to want to please Him in everything that you do because He has done everything to release you from the bondage that you've been in and He's delivered you from every conceivable wrong. Some motivation to love each other and love Him more. That's what grace is. I like grace because I need it. You know when you realize if, if you're if you're a believer and you've kind of had a if you if, if if you're struggling with this, if you have questions, I want you to come and talk to me. Okay, I really I really want that to happen. But if you if you can't swallow this, I'll tell you how beautiful grace is. Grace for you will be found in the beauty of the next time you make a wrong choice. The next time you make a wrong choice, you'll discover again that you have someone you can go to who still loves you just as much as he ever did. And who's still faithful and just, according to the scriptures, he's still faithful and just to forgive our sins. His name's Jesus. That's the beauty of this thing we call grace. That's the beauty of this thing we refer to as unmerited favor. Is that he is always there. Always there. Now, if you're not saved, and you're, you've been struggling with the load of sin, and you have seen the beauty of God's word revealed to you in your life, and you want fundamental forgiveness—I mean, you, you've never—you've never repented, you've never confessed, you've never—you've never made that step, you've never tasted of the faithfulness of God in terms of. His desire and capacity to forgive them. we give you the invitation this morning. The invitation to go to Jesus. To go to the cross. To taste of what it's like to really be free. And to have everything changed and rearranged in your life. We give you that invitation. Let's all stand for just a moment. And as I pray you come. Don't hesitate, don't wait, don't put it off. Father, in Jesus' name, your grace is more than sufficient. It is everything. From stem to stern, start to finish, your grace covers everything. And I pray, dear God, this day that there be a release from the minds and the hearts and the spirits of my brothers and sisters who have been struggling with sin. And I ask you, dear God, God, If there's just one here today who wants to receive your gracious offer of salvation that they would discover the the flavor of it, the joy of it, that they would discover the blessing of it, that they would discover discover the lifelong benefit that leaves this world and goes into another. Thank you, God, for grace and forgiveness. And thank you, God, that you love this and you still love us just like we are and that'll never change but we thank you dear God for those of us who've tasted grace that there comes with that the capacity to change and become more obedient not because you're under obligation but because we are Jesus name is there anybody here today? It's free. The cross is free. Grace is free. On your part. It costs Christ everything, but it's it's free. Father, in Jesus' name, this day, we rejoice. Us in this house, we rejoice in the complete work of Jesus on the cross that He's left nothing undone allows us to live in his presence and to love in his presence and to go forward in Jesus' name.